I don't know about you, but sometimes we do things by tradition and because we've always done it that way as believers. So if you were to walk in any church in the world, my guess is this, unless it's a church where, a land where Christianity is highly restricted and prohibited, then probably you spend a fair amount of time singing. Would that be right? That would be a fair assumption to make, wouldn't it? It's kind of what we do as believers. With that is a danger that we do things because that's what we always do. And actually, we must be careful as believers that we do things because we understand it's what God wants us to do and it's what the Bible teaches us to do. So we're going to spend a bit of time today talking about what it means to be a people of praise. And here's the good news. Ephesians 1 says this. It says that if you're a Christian here today, you are already to the praise of his glory. And some of you have been said that you're underachievers in life or you feel that about yourself. Here's one thing that is true of you today that you bring delight to God, that you're to the praise of his glory just by being his today. And here we're going to start today. So let's evaluate ourselves first of all. Where are we on this spectrum of being a people of praise? How are we growing in this area of discipleship? Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Just a quick reference, and I want to ask you a question. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And then there was an earthquake, and the prison opened, and the doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Here's the question I want to ask you today. So, in that moment, at midnight, Paul and Silas had been flogged and beaten and thrown in jail with an uncertain future. And at midnight, we find this amazing thing, they're singing. And I want to ask you the question, put yourself in that prison cell with your friend, your Christian friend, and out of your repertoire of songs, worship songs that you know, what song are you going to elbow your friend and say, let's sing this one? Just have a think about that for a moment. What worship song are you going to sing in that moment in that prison cell? Just have a think for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to, to share. Uh, that would take too long, wouldn't it? But... Okay, you had a chance to think. Let me give you some options here of the types of song you might sing. It could be that the song you've chosen is a song of rejoicing, a song of joy in God. Rejoice in the Lord now and always, something like that. It could be a song of thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. It could be a song of God's sovereignty. All hail King Jesus. It could be a song of resolve. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Do you not sing through preachers normally? Is that not what you do? <laughs> so it's not the vibe here. <laughs> um, it, it could be a song of lament. You give and take away. It could be a song of desperation. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. It could be a song sharing in the sufferings of Christ where you think about all that he has done for you. I cast my mind to Calvary. Let, let me ask you a question. How many of you, in that song that you chose, were drawn to rejoicing? Just put your hand up if that was you, just rejoicing. Okay? Some? Great. How many of you, thanksgiving? Okay. How many, sovereignty? God is in charge of it. Yeah, okay, more popular. That's because Stu sang that song this morning. Yeah. Uh, how many of you, a song of resolve, raise a hallelujah, that kind of song? 
Yeah, some, okay. How many, a song of lament, sorrow, you know, you give and take away. Yeah, great, okay. How many of you, desperation, God, I look to you, I need you, that kind of thing. Yeah, some. And how many of you, a song about the sufferings of Jesus to comfort you? Nobody on that one, okay, fine. Um, here's, here's, here's what we learned, just in that quick poll of people. That praise is so diverse. Isn't it remarkable that as we praise our Creator, every human heart responds to Him slightly differently? And that's a wonderful thing about being a people of praise. But here's the other very obvious observation. I don't think all of us put our hands up. If, if, I'm, if we were totally honest, I don't think most of us here would be singing at midnight in a Philippian jail cell. Do you think that's a fair comment? Would you agree with me? Yeah, you, you're, you're way more responsive than my church back in Edinburgh. And uh, so here, here's the thing. So most of us don't have this default disposition that in that moment we would be praising people. Therefore, we've got some places to grow in this. Sometimes people say things like singing, well, they're just cultural, aren't they? Well, the Bible has 400 verses that talk about praise and worship and 50 explicit commands to sing. That's not a cultural issue, it's a teaching issue, it's a discipleship issue. So I've got four C's that I want to uh, encourage us in today as God's people around this theme of being a people of praise. And the first is the calling to praise, the second is the cost of praise, the third is the caution of praise, and the fourth is the crux of praise. You could tell I was reaching for that fourth C. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay, so here's the first one, the calling to praise. Let's start general and then go specific. Do you know all of creation, including you and me, is called to praise the Lord? It says in Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, that's everywhere. The name of the Lord is to be praised. There's something about creation. God made it to praise him. Every electron dancing around every nucleus of every atom is designed to praise him. Do you know, ever since creation, the earth has been doing a twirl of delight in praise of its creator every day. The, sun, the earth has been going around the sun every year in victory lap after the Creator has made it. God has made creation to praise him, and he's put rhythms of praise in creation. Uh, I don't know if you have fond lockdown memories. I don't have loads, but there was one that I remember which was really exciting. I was doing homeschooling with my nine-year-old son at the time, and the school had asked us to teach them about uh, maths and number sequences, which... I mean, how unexciting is that, right? Any maths fans here? Yeah, okay, some. So anyway, here was, here was the sequence. They wanted us to teach about what is called the Fibonacci sequence. And, wow, I hear an amen from the maths fans in the room already. So the Fibonacci, it's basically where two numbers, you, you add the previous two numbers to get the next number and you keep going, keep going, keep going. And if you were to plot it on a diagram, it forms a, an ever-increasing spiral. And uh, yeah, here's some examples of it. And in this maths lesson, to make it more interesting, they said, please watch this video to see examples of the Fibonacci sequence in nature. And what we discovered, me and my nine-year-old son, was that 
whether it was sunflowers or sea currents or pine cones or hurricanes or galaxies in space, they all had this matching swirl, this pattern of praise, this, this signature theme of creation. And it was one of those videos where there was some background music and it was sort of giving example after example. And I thought, this sounds like a Christian video. And I looked at the footer on it, and it had some kind of Christian name to it. And I thought, this, this, and you could tell the music was building to the climax where they were going to break into How Great Is Our God or something at the end. Then, very suddenly, the video just cut. And then this very dry maths teacher said, and that is the Fibonacci sequence in nature. <laughs> Whereas me and Bernard said, wow, isn't God amazing? <laughs> All of creation called to praise him. God has called you to praise him. If you're not yet a believer today in Jesus, this is God's primary call on your life, to bow your knee to him. He's made you to praise him. But do you know, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, there's a special call on your life to praise. In the Bible, you find that there's always a people who God has called to special relationship. God called Israel his treasured possession. And even when they came through uh, generations of hardship in Egypt, God delivered them from Egypt and led them through the Red Sea. And as their enemies uh, pursued them through the Red Sea and God saved them from their enemies by causing the Red Sea to swallow them up while the people of God passed into safety, the very first thing they did, do you know what it was? They sang a song. And this song could only be sung only be sung by those who were saved. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. God hadn't saved anybody else that day. He'd saved them. There was a special song for the people of God. That song became one of 150 songs that Israel would sing based on their relationship with their creator and the one who saved them. They understood that their identity was found in being a community of praise. Now, we're not ancient Israel, we're God's people in this new covenant era. And it says this of us in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Same terminology used to describe me. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's those phrases again, you're a people, and here's your calling, to declare his praises. There are many things we worry about in our life. What are we gonna do with our life? Are we going to be single? Are we going to marry? Are we going to have kids? What's our job going to be? What's our career trajectory? Where are we going to live? Here's the main, main calling to praise him, no matter what season of life you find yourself in. This word declare, if you're to declare his praises, that word means to tell forth, to divulge, to publish, to declare abroad and to celebrate. The very nature of praises, it must be articulated. It has to be spoken. It has to be sung. It can't simply be internal. It always overflows. There's something so powerful about the people of God singing the praises of God together. It unifies us. 
as we sing that which is true together. Um, sometimes I ask myself the question, no doubt in a couple of weeks' time there'll be some rousing renditions around different parts of uh, the, the Commonwealth of God Save the King. Or in any other nation there'll be a national anthem, whether that's Flower of Scotland or whether that's the, the Star-Spangled Banner, the Star-Spangled Banner, or whatever. That, why do people write and sing national anthems? And the answer is, well, because it creates identity and unity. Often sometimes for bad, but it creates a sense of who you are. Praise is the anthem of the people of God. It's what God's called us to do. Uh, if you've ever watched the movie The Hunger Games, uh, there, there's a, the, the resistance movement, as they try to overcome the evil dictatorship, they have a call sign. And whenever somebody does the whistle, which is... <laughs> what does everybody else do? Everyone starts singing the same thing again and again. And it, it unifies. It brings the sense of, yes, this is who we are. It was part of their resistance movement. Just beware if you're a believer of being a pick-and-mix believer. When God's people come together, they must sing together. You know, it, it resists the dark forces of individualism and the schemes of the enemy to divide and discourage. I don't know what it was, but in lockdown, I found... Uh, well, obviously, we weren't allowed to sing during lockdown. Post-lockdown... I discovered this new trend in church life where people would just stand and not join in. Because, oh, I'm just thinking about the words. I think, well, it's good to think, but thinking isn't the same as praising. Praising is when we speak and when we sing. That's the first one then, being, uh, knowing the calling of praise. Here's the second one. My, my other three are much shorter, you'll be pleased to know. So here's the second one, the cost of praise. So, praise always has cost to it. It always has challenge to it. Individual praise has challenge. It's hard to praise in seasons of life when you're grieving, or when you're disappointed, or when you're hurting. But do you know, in community, there's many challenges to being a praising people. Here's some. We don't always know the songs. Sometimes the words don't always appear on the screen. <laughs> we all have different vocal ranges. You say, I just can't join in this song. It's too low, it's too high. Not all of us have equal reading ability. Praising at a set time in the week, as required by community logistics, don't mean that all of us always feel up for it at exactly the same time. Here's some other challenges. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to others or think that other people's praise is so much more acceptable to God than ours. Or, in darker moments, we have a tendency to judge other people's expressions of praise because it's different to ours. Here's another tendency. We have, in a bigger group, we can tend towards passivity when in a crowd of people. Perhaps that's why in Hebrews 13, it says these words for our benefit. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. 
And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Praise is costly. Praise is sacrificial. Praising God and learning to be a disciple who praises God means that we must overcome and choose to overcome the things that inhibit us from doing that in community. Now that verse helpfully says for us uh, that the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And don't forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. As a believer, you probably have a disposition to be a Christian who loves corporate worship and singing, or to be somebody who says, you know what, I just like to get on with worshiping God in my own life through whatever I do. And I'm not so big on the gathering, but I'm, I love just worshiping Jesus in all of life. Don't do one or the other, do both. <laughs> because that's what this verse says. This is the sacrifice that God loves. It's the sacrifice of praise in the community of God and it's in our day-to-day -day laying down our lives for one another. Now, depending on your personality and your environment, one of those will feel more sacrificial than the other. Let me ask you today, what's your sacrifice of praise? What's the costly thing that stops you from praising God in community? Have a think about that. I know when uh, we, my, my wife and I, we have four kids who are now all teenagers. Uh, remember those very early years of young children, just how brutal they were in terms of church life. And, and uh, I mean, children are blessing, right? Don't get me wrong. But, um, but here was my wife Julia's experience. She, she said, you know, she said, I probably went for years where I came to church and I didn't get to engage with God in the way I wanted to engage with him. I got to sit in a baby room out the back or sue the crying toddler or be in the kids' room. And many of the young mums she chats to now are saying, oh yeah, but so what, why did you come? Why did you come to church when it was just you know, so hard? But Julie's answer is, well, because that was my praise to God, to keep coming even when I didn't feel like it and even when it was hard. What's your sacrifice of praise? Here's the third, perhaps your, your sacrifice of praise, perhaps your cost is this third C we're going to talk about. It's the caution of praise. Once when Jesus was speaking to some religious leaders, he quoted Isaiah to them. In Matthew 15, 8, he said, these people honour me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me. You know, we have such a, a thing in our culture today, in Glasgow today, or Edinburgh, or Scotland, or probably across Europe, there's one word that we hate more than any other, and it's this word, being fake. It's being inauthentic. It's almost like the cardinal sin these days, isn't it? To not be yourself. And people read these verses and think, gosh, even Jesus is pointing it out here that th th these Pharisees, they seem to be doing the outward thing well, but the internal thing very badly. And he's very aware of it. 
Now, where we go with that in our culture is a strange place in that we say things like, well, just you be you, right? As long as you're true to yourself, as long as you're authentic, that's the best you you can be. I don't think Jesus is really saying that, is he? No, he's pointing out something that needs addressing. He's saying, you're doing the outward thing well, make sure your heart is feeding your outward expression. Because that's the most important thing. Somehow, we can think wrongly that unless we feel good about something, then God doesn't want us to do it. But that is never true. But he does want to safeguard us from what is fake. So that leads us into this fourth C of, well, how do we safeguard against being external people only to being those who are authentic? And this is the fourth C, the crux of praise. And you'll know this as you were looking at this last week with Lewis, that it it fascinates us, doesn't it, to know that Jesus' main teaching about worship in the Gospels, it's not with the chief priests, it's not with the Levites who are the worship leaders of the day, it's with a woman by the well while his disciples are away looking for food. Uh, A guy called Ian Galloway said this, he said, what never ceases to delight me is that the most important teaching Jesus ever gave on what worship is and how it is to be done is given here at this well, just before a late lunch, to a woman whose name we don't know, who appears to have an exceptionally painful past and is still undecided about who Jesus is. Isn't that amazing? These are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. Let's read from John 4, perhaps some verses you read last week, but I just want to touch on a couple of things. Verse 19, cutting into the conversation halfway through after Jesus has revealed some many difficult things about this lady's life. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Apparently there's three musts in the Gospel of John. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It then says, following that, it says that the Son of Man must be lifted for all to believe in him to have eternal life. It must be lifted on the cross, that reference. And then this third one, that the true worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. All those three things are linked. This is how true worship happens. It comes through believing in Jesus lifted up on a cross. Which when we believe in him, we receive new life. We are born again.
If you're not a Christian, you might be asking, first of all, why, why do we sing? Why do we worship? Is this because we're born again? It's because born again with a disposition to worship because Jesus died for us. Praise is the fruit of hearts changed by Jesus. But this narrative we've read teaches us so much about the God who invites us. You know, if he invited this woman, he's certainly inviting you. In a culture that required men to withdraw 20 meters and turn their back on a woman in a social setting, Jesus does the opposite and he engages her in the most gentle way possible in a face-to-face conversation. She asks him about the practicalities of praise. Which mountain should we do it on? And he says, the place is no longer relevant. It's the how. It's the spirit and truth. He replies, not with an invitation to do it your way, you to be you, but with the invitation that God is looking for a people to do it his way. So here's his way to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth, heart and mind, confessing and believing. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, it means, first of all, having our spirits made alive by God, being born again. It means our internal being changed, our inward heart being transformed. The Holy Spirit awakens us to understand God's beauty and splendor and power. The Holy Spirit stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and savor all God has done in Jesus for us and relationship with him. This woman at the well who was deeply ashamed of her past when Jesus referenced it, by the end of the story, she goes and tells her whole town, come and tell me. Yeah, she says, let me tell you about the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Shame was turned around in a moment. Her internal was changed, her heart was changed, her access to the Father restored. Worship connects at the deepest level, deeper than any relationship you can know. And you know, if, if worship is primarily about the heart, then quality must always be secondary. I think it was R.T. Kendall who, uh, you know, he, 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 said, uh, he said, I've got an awful voice. He said, nobody likes listening to my singing. He says, but thank you. He said, thanks to God. He says, you may not rate my singing, but God thinks I'm an opera star. See, God loves the worship of a heart that is transformed by him. But it's also in truth. It's also in response to the revelation of God. You know, we we don't just worship this God who we're kind of searching for. The Bible tells us that our God is unknowable unless he makes himself known to us. But here's the wonder. The Bible teaches us that he wants to be known and he chooses to reveal himself again and again and again, primarily through Jesus, but in every character in the Bible, you read about this God who interacts with human beings like you and me because he wants to be known. When we sing, when we worship, we come with this understanding that he's revealed himself. 
we sing truth, we sing about all he has done, we sing about creation, we sing about redemption, we sing about the cross, we sing about the resurrection, we sing about hope to come and judgment to come and salvation to come. We sing about the love of God filling our hearts by the Holy Spirit now because God has revealed all of these things. Each week, the world, the flesh and the devil opposes Christians. He poses questions to us like he did with Adam and Eve in Eden. When we praise, we remind ourselves of the truth of God. If we're to worship in spirit and truth, we must talk about how that affects our emotion as well. I don't know about you, we have this concept, this idea, don't we, that in our culture, in Scotland, in Britain, we're, we're not very emotional people. You know, emotions are a private thing, aren't they? Is anybody here at Hampden Park for the Scotland win over, over Spain a couple of weeks ago? Amazing. Now, let, let me get this right. Okay, so, it went against all the odds, Scotland not scored just one goal, but two, and beat Spain. I'm pretty sure everybody in Hampden Park said to their friend next to them, I just can't wait till we get home to really rejoice and celebrate about this because it's such a private matter. <laughs> no, of course that's not what happened, is it? No, no, no. Everybody roared and delight and danced and, and, and sang because, hey, no, emotion public in the right settings, aren't they? <laughs> How about this? When you go and watch a comedy, we have the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, and or maybe you're going to see a comedian here, like Kevin Bridges or somebody, I don't know, and, and, they, and they make you, they're so funny, they make you laugh out loud. After that show, do you go away angry saying, I feel so manipulated? <laughs> he made me laugh out loud. How dare he? Of, of course not. You say, that was so funny. I've never laughed so much in ages. What a joy. Or when you go to see a movie where the characters are so well played and it's a sad movie and empathetically you, you get drawn into such connection with them, you're weeping with these fictional characters. And you're like, I just don't know why I'm so crying so much. You, you don't say, how ridiculous is this? You think, what a brilliant film. How amazing that they could do that to me, that I, I could be so moved in my spirit, in my soul. How ridiculous to think that we could possibly worship and praise the God of the universe who created us, who redeemed us, who knows us, who came from heaven and earth and died for us, who's called us by name and now lives within us. How impossible to think that we could praise him and it not be an emotional experience in spirit and in truth. God has called us to be those. I want to give you freedom as we praise and as we worship and as you do this in your gatherings to be those who don't listen to that error that says we mustn't get emotional about this, but to be those who make Jesus the Lord of our emotions and worship him in spirit and in truth. I wonder what God is putting his finger on in your life today. Have you heard his call to praise? 
Are you weighing up the cost to praise? Do you know the caution of praise to, to be authentic yet deliberate in our praises? And have you come to the crux of praise to understand what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth? Somebody, uh, I was sharing a similar message to this a while ago, and somebody pointed out to me afterwards, they said, do you know the word crux in Latin means cross? This is where it all begins. The cross of Jesus, who calls people who are not worshippers to worship him, who makes you and me part of his family. Let's pray together and let's respond to him today.